Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. I wasn't thinking about starting a women's organization or a summer camp company. I I just wanted to make games. About 2.8 billion people play video games worldwide. From Fortnite to Rocket League, my personal favorite, gaming is a popular form of entertainment, relaxation, and a way to connect with friends, and sometimes strangers. When I started Girls Make Games, I really wasn't very familiar with gaming. And I did grow up playing on my Atari and some arcade games like Street Fighter or Tekken, uh, but that was the extent of it. That's Layla Shabir. She's the co-founder and CEO of Girls Make Games, an organization that aims to introduce game design to young girls. Many people, including me, might spend a lot of time gaming, but rarely take the time to think about who's making these games and what goes into development. And that means, you know, programming your game, designing your character, so making art for it, animating it, adding sound effects, sometimes even creating and recording those sound effects from, you know, everyday objects that are around you, testing it and finally implementing and and sharing it with people so they can play your game. She founded a game studio with her husband. But when it came to hiring, she realized just how underrepresented women are in the gaming industry. She launched an annual summer camp to solve that problem. And it was just very shocking to me because I'd come from banking and research and all these other places 
um, where we had a lot more diversity. You know, even though it was male dominated, it was something like maybe 55, 45 or 60, 40, but not like 80, 20, which is what gaming is. Layla's husband was a professional gamer himself, and he introduced her to the kinds of opportunities the world of gaming provides. He didn't talk to me about how cool gaming is. He talked to me about how powerful and how influential gaming is. Because 9 out of 10 kids play games in the U.S. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of young people being shaped by one medium. Nearly 50% of people who play video games identify as female, but less than 30% of game developers are women. This is a problem that we can solve. I was working in research uh, and kind of on my way to getting a PhD eventually and becoming a professor because I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, and for my husband, he's a fairly intelligent guy and he was playing Halo competitively and I just couldn't when I first met him, it just blew my mind. I was like, why would anyone waste their life away gaming and call themselves a professional gamer? <laughs> and so he opened my eyes to the possibilities in gaming. And I think the way he did it was really smart because he didn't talk to me about how cool gaming is. He talked to me about how powerful and how influential gaming is because nine out of 10 kids play games in the U.S. That's a lot mm -hmm. of kids. That's a lot of young people being shaped by one medium. So think about the power it has over shaping our society. And what are we doing with that power? Who are the people behind the scenes making the games that these kids play. He didn't talk to me about any of that. It was something that I discovered on my own. He just showed me how influential it was and how good it would be for us to combine our interests. So my interest to teach and his interest to make games. And so we wanted to make educational games. The, so the Girls Make Games start as an educational game? Like how did the, how did the camp emerge from your work with your gaming studio? It wasn't until we started, like we launched our game studio that I went out to gaming conferences and developers conferences and I would be the only, oftentimes the only woman in the room and definitely the only woman of color in the room. Mm -hmm. Woman of color, non-gaming background, so really complete outsider. And it was just very shocking to me because I'd come from banking and research and all these other places where we had a lot more diversity. You know, even though it was male dominated, it was something like maybe 55, 45 or 60, 40, but not like 80, 20, which is what gaming is. So it just kind of shocked me and I wasn't thinking about starting a women's organization or a summer camp company. I, w I just wanted to make games, but I got uh, sidetracked by the, the shock. <laughs> so how did you go from getting sidetracked by that shock to <laughs> into creating Girls Make Games? Um, so while I was working on my first game, we were playtesting it all over the country, going to schools and, you know, little fairs and maker fair and things like that. And we would have... Lots of kids come up having fun with the game. But when we went to the developers conferences, a lot of people would tell us girls are not as interested in making games. When I tried to recruit for my studio, uh, we had about eight job openings and they ended up being all filled by boys because 99% of the applications we received were from young men who proclaimed that this was their dream job. And I was just so shocked because I was like, oh my God, it's going to be just me and 10 boys <laughs> making a game. Um, and oftentimes, again, in the room, I would be the only one with like different opinion or perspective. And and it's just very natural for me to start thinking if it's going to be, you know, these boys making games, is the game going to end up being more interesting to boys or will girls play this too? And how do I 
go meet young girls who might be interested in playing or eventually becoming developers. So really the first camp was a social experiment. I'm an economist by training, so it's really important for me to gather, you know, empirical data. And so that first camp was sort of my research ground for our game. But by the end of the camp, it was such an emotional experience for so many of the kids and I remember the last day of camp, we're all crying. The kids were crying. I was crying. The parents were crying. <laughs> we're all like, I was like, this is so weird. This is not what I expected. You know, the kids that came in and they're talking about this is the one place that I feel like I could be myself. This is the only camp I've been to where I'm not the only girl. I didn't know there were other girls like me who loved playing video games. So hearing those things over and over um, in different forms just kind of, you know, solidified in my mind that there's something that was needed and it just didn't exist. And so I told my team, I'm going to go on a one-year hiatus. And that was seven years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm still on that hiatus because Girls and Games has just grown from that one camp to sort of a global organization. And especially during COVID, going virtual and reaching kids all over the world. It's just been a, a very unexpected journey. But I know it's something that's needed and that's why we continue to do it. Can you explain what goes on at Girls Make Games camps? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of it is, uh, it's like a regular camp. You show up, you make friends, you play games, you, you know, have great counselors who also become your mentors and help guide you through the process. But the really magical thing that happens is the sense of community and belonging. Because like I said, for a lot of the kids that come to camp, this is the only place they've been to where they were surrounded by people who looked like them. When they have speakers, you know, when we have speakers that come into camp, these are women who work in the industry, great role models, extremely successful leaders. They talk about their journeys and how, you know, they didn't know if they wanted to become game developers and how they ended up to where they are. These are stories they don't get to hear every day. But for 15 days, they're completely immersed in this magical place, in their words. There's a really fun feature where at the end of camp, your team gets to pitch your game to a panel of industry judges. And the judges have included people like Phil Spencer, who's the head of Xbox and John Layden, previous head of PlayStation. So we'll have a lot of really senior leaders who are judges. And the winning game gets kickstarted and then professionally developed and published. We published a title on the PlayStation. We published a title this year in 2022 on the Nintendo Switch. So that's kind of how the game studio side of my business works, where we're like, we're taking these girls, we're bringing their vision to life and putting it out on the store so people can play them. That's awesome. I, so, can you talk a little bit more about your uh, your, your studios? Because I'm, I'm recognizing you have you have separate paths here. So, one of them's more uh, more altruistic, and the other is actually you creating games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really the reason I got into the games industry was to make games because I wanted to be a part of it, and I think I still would like to continue making games. It's just in the last years, eight years, the only games that we've ended up making have been creatively led and designed by young girls. Can you take us through one of those games? Yeah, like, uh, like describe one for us. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorites, which is coming out next year on the Switch, is called Shredded Secrets. It's actually an anti-bullying game. So the game is designed by four young teens from Seattle. And mm-hmm. um, each one of them ended up writing a, a story arc. So we actually follow through four characters that are in a middle school, three students and a teacher. There's a bully and a victim. So there's a bully and a girl getting bullied. But you get to play through each one and kind of learn what they're going through in their life. And I thought that was so amazing the way 
the kids approached it because not only did they show how hard bullying is on the victim, they also showed why the bully was acting out and why how his life was kind of, you know, whatever he was going through. It wasn't all about, hey, he's evil and you're the good one and, you know, go fight evil. It was more about building empathy in the player. So mm-hmm. as you progress through the game, you're getting to fill in all these different shoes and by the end, you kind of walk away with a sense of, whoa, I can't believe 13-year-olds make this game. <laughs> so, um, that yeah. That is amazing. It sounds amazing. So your company is making all the games from the camp or? The winner is the only one. The okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the grand prize. That's awesome. <laughs> You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? by using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tell me a little bit more about the, uh, the tech and the types of skills that Girls Make Games actually teaches. You learn everything that goes into making a game from, you know, taking your concept, that's sort of an abstract idea, an idea like I like cats, <laughs> to <laughs> becoming a full game. And that means, you know, programming your game, designing your character, so making art for it, animating it, adding sound effects, sometimes even creating and recording those sound effects from, you know, everyday objects that are around you and then mm-hmm. putting that into the game testing it and finally implementing and and sharing it with people so they can play your game. So they go through the full indie developer experience, which is I have a dream to I have a game. I love it. (laughs) Now, uh, some of my favorite games are Fortnite, Rocket League, and some of these games are are very violent. Um, Yeah. And how much are you guys focused on uh, making games that don't include violence? Like what role does violence in video games play in uh, Girls Make Games? We're very lucky. We've never really had to talk to anyone and say your game is too violent. At most, we've had maybe cartoonish violence. We definitely have shooters. We've had FPSs, first-person shooters. But the context matters. If I'm shooting fruit at you or if I'm shooting paint at you, it feels very different from, you know, if there's blood all over the screen. So the mechanic is okay. The context matters. If TV and movies can be violent, so can video games. If TV and movies can move you and change you and educate you, so can video games. So you have to be able to draw those parallels. And we need smart people. We need, you know, problem solvers. We need writers, designers. We need all kinds of people to come join us and help build the future of the industry because we're going places. I mean, gaming is growing so fast. It's already one of the fastest industries. When I tell people that, Gaming makes more money than music and Hollywood combined. They're shocked. Yes. Right? <laughs> so video games are pervasive. They're everywhere. And they're going to continue to be everywhere and grow. So it would be awesome if we had more women and diverse people come be part of the, the movement. Are there any pitfalls or obstacles that you faced being a woman in the gaming industry that you're able to kind of uh, help your creators avoid as you teach them about making games, but also about being a woman in the gaming industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you ask any woman in the industry, you'll probably get a similar answer, which is that it can be very isolating at times because there's so few of us. There's less than 20% of us in the industry and it's very, very visible when you go to events. When we're at home and we're doing our thing, it's fine. But when we go out and, and interact with people and when we're at gaming events, it's um, it's painfully obvious. And that sort of helps me, like what helps me is draw parallels with my childhood where I grew up in the Middle East and I was very, very aware of being a girl and I was constantly told I shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that or I couldn't do this or that. And what has really helped me in the last uh, almost a decade is um, the really strong 
community and sisterhood that we do have with the 20% of women that we do. Um, and that's kind of what we're building at Girls Make Games. When these kids come in, they, they see each other year after year. We have very high retention, nearly 70 to 80% retention rate. So kids, once they sign up, they keep coming back. These are people that are going to be part of their journeys and they'll keep in touch and they'll go to college and eventually get jobs. And, and that's really the best that you can hope for because nobody can make it on their own. We all need a support system. And if it doesn't exist, we got to create it for ourselves. So with the 70 to 80 percent retention rate, how are new people getting into this camp? It seems like their the, the <laughs> spots are going to seem a little competitive here. How do, how do you get new people? So the nice thing about our camps is that every year, once we have our registrations and we can kind of show up to our partners, which is basically the whole games industry and say, hey, here are the kids who want to make games. Can you support us? And they've always said yes. So it really, it's, we have room for everyone. And we, while we charge tuition, we also offer 100% scholarships. So cost has never been an issue. If your family can't afford it, we will offer up to 100% financial aid. Layla, there are billions of gamers, about 2.8 billion, 45% are women. I play a lot of games online, and I know it can be a rough space. I mean, it is there. There's racism, misogyny. It's all over the place. How do you approach solving that? And how do you help other women stay hopeful that it will be solved eventually? When young women kind of come come to terms with, hey, this is probably going to be a rough career path for me, or hey, is this even going to be possible for me because do pe- people don't want me here or something? It's really a matter of time because... Mm-hmm. When we end up, like I said, building that community and we have enough numbers, it's just going to go down. With online communities, I mean, this problem exists outside of gaming to online anonymity is just, it's just what it is. It's ugly. But at the same time, if you can kind of create an alternate space. So I will never believe that the world is going to be a perfect place for anyone. I think as long as we have humans, we're going to have cruelty. We're going to have, we're going to have evil. Let's just put it at that. Um, but creating alternate spaces. And I think that's, that's where we need to make our investments. Like we need to be able to combat that with saying, Hey, this sucks, but you have this other option. That's great. A lot of women play mobile games, not playing online mm-hmm. or on consoles, you mm-hmm. know, and they don't identify as gamers. They'll just say, Oh yeah, I play on my apps. You know, I don't really play games. I play apps. And I'm like, that's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how do we solve people being mean to people? It's it's a really hard problem. (laughs) Do you think that the solution is um, having an alternate safe space? Do you think that's a a viable long-term solution? As a Black person, (laughs) I know. Yeah, let's make this safe space somewhere. But it it doesn't actually get to the root of the problem, which is that, you know, there's there's inherently misogyny here, both in the creating of the games and then in the playing of the games. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing that we have to think about when we implement those safe spaces, right? As a 35-year-old woman, do I need a safe space now? I feel like I don't because I I needed it 10, 15 years ago when I was Mm. much younger and I really, I was vulnerable and I needed that support and I needed to feel confident in the choices that I was making. Now that I've made Mm -hmm. those choices and I've done well with them, I feel like I can walk into any room and make any, you know, any conversation happen. Like if you go back and um, study how all girls' schools 
influence confidence in girls. Mm -hmm. Why does that work at the middle school, high school age? And why does it not really matter if you have a whole workplace full of women? You know, it doesn't really work at that age. So you really have to implement it when it's needed. So early in your career, early in your teens, when you're not sure of who you are and if you should be making the choices or the decisions or if you have if you have the right knowledge or even the potential to succeed somewhere, that's where you need the the support. That's, it's funny, because as you were talking, I was thinking two things. One, what you're describing is a greenhouse, uh, which is a, a green, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, before you take the plants out. And then the second thing is, I, as soon as you said that, I started to think about all of my friends who went to HBCUs yep. and the ways in which they view themselves as Black people in the world yep. versus people like myself and others who went to PWIs who have a, a quite different experience. I think there's some truth in what you're saying. Yeah. Um, can you tell me... What does this look like when it's solved for you? Like in five to 10 years looking ahead, how would you want this problem to look? If I could talk to a young girl about gaming and ask her, you know, would you consider working in games? And her answer is not because I think video games are for boys or because I don't know any of the girls who play games or any of those things. Um, If it's really because I'm not interested because I want to do X, I want to do this other thing that I'm more interested in. The self-selection that happens because of the environment, I think that's, that's a problem that we need to solve. Like we don't, we don't have to worry about people not choosing gaming because they're not interested in it. We have to worry about people not choosing gaming because of fear or because of negative stereotypes or because they just have these misconceptions about it. So as long as we can tackle those things, as long as people have real choice, that they're choosing because they they want X or Y and they're not leaning one way or the other because of their environment, I think that would be that would I would consider a success. And in that case, Girls Make Games would be obsolete. It would just be another summer camp, not really the summer camp that girls who like gaming go to. Are you optimistic that this will happen? Oh, 100%. 100,000%. I mean, when we started Girls Make Games, we were at 22% of developers identifying as female, and we are close to 30 now. That's just nice. in the last seven years. Yeah. Okay. If our listeners are interested in learning more about developing games themselves or helping to support young women in gaming, what can they do and where can they go to learn more to get involved? Um, So for parents, I would say definitely if you have a kid, uh, if you have a girl who's interested in gaming, send her to Girls Win Games. But in (laughs) general, for people who encounter young women, and I think I I don't want to talk about gaming specifically. I think when you encounter young women who are interested in non-traditional careers or non-traditional hobbies or any of that, instead of pointing out how different it is for them to be interested in it, engage them in it. And I think that was one of the best things my parents did for me was even though I was out in the Middle East, And, you know, outside the whole outside world was telling me I'm a girl and I need to behave one way or the other. When I went home, my parents undid all of that damage by talking to me like a regular kid. I wasn't a frail little girl who needed all this protection in the world. I could have all the dreams that I wanted and all kinds of ambitions. And I could be prime minister or, you know, scientist or any of that, all that stuff that wasn't possible outside. And then for... If you're working in a corporate setting, um, the same goes for, you know, your female colleagues. Like it's it's so much harder for us to just try to 
um, pretend that we're all the same and we're all in the same boat, but life is just, we've, we've had to overcome so many more obstacles. I mean, it's seeing a successful woman in tech or a successful woman in gaming is really, you are seeing, you're kind of observing a unicorn. And so kind of making that a norm, you know, we don't, we don't need it to be an exception. I have one of my least favorite stereotypes on TV is like that trope of that one woman in the computer science or in the tech classroom who is also a genius. I don't think we need that double burden to be like the minority who is also a genius. I think, you know, like you can get to be an average minority because being average isn't, you know, that's average. That's what normal people are. It's a privilege. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is just such a burden to to be like, oh, I'm a girl in gaming. That means I have to be really, really good. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I represent all girls. And if I suck, all girls suck. Yeah. Yeah. You I know. think the progress literally comes down to like, I'm just an average developer. Yeah, I'm just a just regular like these person. 16 dudes over here. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. I'm just as average as any, any one of them. Exactly. Uh, so, where can we find the games that you guys have developed? I know I want to check them out, and I'm sure our listeners do too. So we've actually developed six games and they are, they can be found on the Girls Made Games website. There's a uh, tab called Games. Mm -hmm. We started publishing in 2014. Blub Blub Quest of the Blob is out on Steam and Xbox. The whole story is out on Steam. Interfectorum is out on Steam and PlayStation. Uh, Find Me just came out on PlayStation last year. It's also on Steam. And Shredded Secrets just came out this year in 2022 on the Nintendo Switch. It is, it's our first Switch title and we're so excited. Layla, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Layla Shabir is the co-founder and CEO of Girls Make Games. Layla attended MIT and pursued finance at BlackRock, followed by economic research at the Brookings Institution before moving into the world of video games. In 2014, GameIndustry.biz named Layla a Games Industry Person of the Year. Layla has a personal goal to teach 1 million girls how to make games through her work. If you want to learn more about game development or any of the games that Layla Studios helped to produce, check out the links in our show notes. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Editorial support from Kishel Williams. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias, and our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. Before we go, we know you're used to hearing this show every week, but just want to let you know the next episode of Solvable will be released at the beginning of next month. It will be well worth the wait. So stay tuned. And once again, thanks for listening. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Plus.